And we are continuing the series on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some might say, well, you're moving kind of slow. We're not in a hurry as long as we're covering good material. And I'm hearing good things from people saying, you know, I've, I've never heard this before. Others said, I've heard it, but it's good to hear it again, and God is speaking to me. So let's jump in. It was he, meaning Jesus, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And you might remember from the past several weeks, we've talked about how you cannot be a mature follower of Jesus Christ. You can't be a mature disciple unless you are properly aligned to the leadership structure of the church. God has given these five leadership gifts to grow the church up. It's interesting, as we read on here, it says, then we, won't be, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Why are people blown around? And if you look at the, the history of the church, especially the last uh, 40 years of the 20th century, some of you remember those days so long ago. But it, you know, if, if, you, if you were in the church at that time, you know that there were winds of doctrines that were blowing through churches and people were getting caught up in this and caught up in that and going this way and that way. It's because people were not properly aligned to leadership. It's kind of a do-it-yourself Christianity kit that you do at home. You can get in trouble doing that. It's like chemistry sets at home. By the way, you know I can get real tangential. I'll just say it real quick. My parents gave me a chemistry set when I was six. Not a good idea. I don't know what I mixed together or how I did it. I know that hydrochloric acid was part of it, which was not a good idea. But I made this glue that expanded and blew up and got all over my furniture. My mom was not happy. Well, the same way, sometimes if you do Christianity on your own, bad things can happen. So I'm just warning you about that, okay? But anyway, verse 15 says, instead, instead of being blown around here and there, instead, speaking the truth in love, we want all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. We want to grow up and be mature in Jesus. Not only that, but look at verse 16. It says, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And that means that we are all connected in the right way to one another and that we are all working together in harmony because if you're an elbow, you can't do much on your own, but arms sure appreciate elbows. Because if you can't, anybody ever have a broken arm? Okay, I, I knew one guy, a friend of mine, that had two broken arms. He could not feed himself. His arms were in a cast and they were kind of like this. Imagine that, somebody had to feed him. So elbows are really good. Every joint, that which every joint supplies. There's a, a reason and a purpose for every part of the body of Christ. And God wants you to know what your purpose is, what your destiny is, what your identity is, and that's what this course is all about. So we've been looking at the five leadership gifts of Ephesians. We talked about apostle two weeks ago. Today we're going to talk about what it means to be a prophet. So let's just pray for a moment. Father, give us ears, give us focus. We don't need hear it all. We need your Holy Spirit to lead us, God. And open our hearts to understand what you're saying about this gift, this office of prophet. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. 
We're going to talk about prophecy more when we get into the uh, 1 Corinthians 12 gifts. Today we're talking about the leadership gift, the leadership anointing. Sometimes we call it the office of prophet. Some people are actually called to an office. Uh, One of these people in the New Testament was a man named Agabus. But first of all, what what is a prophet? A prophet is a person speaking by God's inspiration, truths revealed by God for the edification and guidance of the hearers. Let me expand that a moment. It means that what the prophet is speaking is not something that he or she got through their five senses. It's something that the Holy Spirit who lives in them unfolded to their heart. I love 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where it talks about how we have the mind of Christ and how the Holy Spirit takes the things from the mind and from the heart of God and unfolds them to us. That's what a prophet does. A prophet receives things from the Lord and gives them to us in a way that we can understand. So let's look at Acts chapter 2 verses 7 through 12. This is a story actually about uh, Agabus who was a prophet but also about the daughters of Philip who prophesied. And by the way, there are people who prophesy. The scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 14 that we should all seek that we may prophesy. And the reason it says that is it's such a powerful gift. It, can, it, it really has power to impact people's lives. We'll see how that happens as we go on. But there are other people that are not just prophesying, they actually have the office of prophet. And this scripture shows both. It kind of gives us the distinction. It says, we continued our voyage from Tyre and we landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and we stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He was one of the seven original deacons. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And by the way, it's very interesting in the early church, one of the things that was just a mind-blowing, amazing thing is that men and women both participated in the service together. This was so radical. I hear, uh, I remember when I was in college, I heard professors say Christianity is so male-oriented and, you know, this and that, and they've oppressed women. Christianity did more to liberate women to become who God created them to be from Acts chapter 2 that quotes Joel 2 that said God is going to pour out his spirit on who? Men, women, young, old. In Christ there is neither male nor female. Okay, we have different roles, of course, certainly in the family and whatever. But listen, uh, the scripture is very clear that women can prophesy. Women can be used in the gifts of the spirit, uh, just like men can. This was such a radical departure from the synagogue where men sat in the main part and women sat behind a screen and were not allowed to come onto the floor. So we get this, we're going to read this later in 1 Corinthians 14, but Paul tells the women in Corinth, he said, now you're asking questions and you're disrupting the service. Women should be silent in the ecclesia, in the church, the large gathering. He said, if you have a question, ask your husband home in the oikos, which meant the household, the house church. We misinterpret that, and people have over the years to say that Paul was saying women should shut up and just not talk in church at all. I should be getting uh, amens here. I'm just waiting. You know, guys saying no, you know. But the whole point is people have misinterpreted that. What he's saying is, for the first time, men and women were able to worship together. There was a little bit of chaos because of that. And he's saying, you know, if you have a question, the time to, right now, if everybody was talking to one another, that would be inappropriate, wouldn't it? And he's saying these questions need to be asked in the home group. 
and the oikos, the household. And that's what they called the house church. That was the basic unit of Christianity. See how we misunderstand scripture sometimes? Paul wasn't saying women should be quiet. He's saying for the first time, women are enjoying the freedom to be part of worship. And they were coming up to speed, let's put it that way. Because they had been kept out. So he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt and tied his own hands and feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So you have this picture. There are these uh, four daughters of Philip that prophesied. They were known to prophesy in the church. But Agabus seems to be at a office of prophet level so much so that he comes right in, and here's the Apostle Paul, who admittedly is one of the top leaders in the church at that time, and he has a prophetic word for him. There's another scene in the book of Acts where Agabus gets a word and says there is a famine coming to this part of the world, and the church takes his word, and they begin a strategy of collecting money so that the people in Judea can have food when that time of hardship comes. We had a group years ago that we called the Agabus Group that prepared for uh, hard seasons, and uh, we named it after him as a prophet. But why is it that prophets are pretty prominent in the early church, even more so in some ways than pastors? And yet in the church, probably in the last 50 years, prophets have been largely ignored and put to the side. Why do we do that? Well, let's go on. Prophecy has two elements. One element is to foretell, to reveal knowledge of the future. And we see that with Agabus here in this story. He's telling Paul, you're going to be uh, taken captive. You're going to be turned over to the Gentiles. Paul, by the way, already knew that, didn't he? So what was Agabus doing? Agabus was confirming what the Lord had already said to Paul. He told Paul that this was going to happen. And Paul tells the leaders, if you read on, he says, I'm supposed to go. I know this is going to happen. God is going to work through this. And uh, I need to do this. But Agabus was used to confirm a future event. Prophets also speak forth. They give God's now word. It's the word for the season at that particular time. This morning, I felt like the word was out of Exodus chapter 12, that God had a word for us. Did that hit you? How many of you did that hit? I couldn't have known that. So several days ago, I was reading scripture, and the Lord said, I want you to do this for communion on Sunday. I want you to read the scripture and explain the blood and break these chains over people. That's prophetic insight. By the way, a lot of pastors are prophets too. How many of you know that? They do prophetic teaching. Some pastors are more teachers. Some pastors are prophets. And uh, when we get to evangelists, you're going to find out some people that think they're pastors are actually evangelists. And all of their churches look differently. If you go to a church that's led by an evangelist, there's a lot of growth. And people have a tendency at some point to not get enough teaching on how to grow beyond a certain point. And if evangelists don't work with other pastors and teachers and other leaders, you can have a disaster. If you have a church that's led by a prophet... You know what I'm going to say, right? No, I'm just kidding. If you have a church that's led by a prophet, what happens is there tends to be more revelation, and sometimes that church tends to go deep, and it can scare new believers if you don't have evangelists. Does that make sense? And sometimes the Lord has convicted me, said, you're, you're turning a fire hose on your people, and they can't absorb all that you're saying. Turn the water down. No, I'm being real. I need to be real frank with you. It's true, isn't it? 
Pastors are wonderful people. Pastors care for people. They may be a teacher or they may not be a teacher, but we'll talk about that later. But they can have various gifts in the way that they lead a church. So one of the distinctions that I want you to understand, we need to learn clearly about New Testament prophecy and New Testament prophets, is that the gift of prophecy in the New Testament differs from how prophecy was operating in the Old Testament. Prophets in the Old Testament, uh, was the prophets were a very select group. They were held to a high standard. As a matter of fact, such a high standard that if you were a false prophet in Israel and it was proved that you were a false prophet, you could be put to death. Now, here we are on Sunday morning and somebody comes up to me and they says, Pastor Joe, I feel like I have a word from the Lord. What if I said to them, okay, I'll let you share it, but if you're wrong, we're going to have to kill you. Now, you know I have a sick sense of humor that I might say that sometimes, but if I do, I'm just kidding. I would never say that, actually. Because New Testament prophecy, the Bible says when a prophet speaks, the word should be weighed. In other words, we should carefully weigh it. Because prophecy in the New Testament is open to just about everybody. In Acts chapter 2, when Peter talks about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and we're going to, in a couple weeks, we're going to talk about that baptism of the Holy Spirit and how that is central to all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But when God pours out his Spirit, one of the first things that often happens is people speak in tongues or they prophesy. Their speech is empowered by the Holy Spirit from within them, and it just flows out of them. And Prophecy in the New Testament is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Everybody can prophesy. Everybody can hear from the Lord. Why? Because now the Holy Spirit is living in us. In the Old Testament, there was still that separation between God and the people, and people being filled with the Spirit like that was a very rare occasion. How many of you remember the story out of the Old Testament of David when David was appointed as the king and it said the spirit of the Lord came upon him. He changed by nature. Even Saul before him, though Saul lost a grip on his faith, Saul, the spirit of the Lord came on Saul and he prophesied as a king of Israel because the spirit of God had come on him. Almost always when the spirit of the Lord comes on somebody, there's a verbal response. There's something that just flows out. God's spirit moves on the speech uh, mechanisms of our body, and uh, there's this praise that just flows out of a person. It's supernatural. But because everybody can prophesy in the New Testament, we don't have that high standard. What we say to people is, submit your word and we'll weigh it. So instead of coming up and saying, thus saith the Lord, we say, I believe this is what God is saying. Okay? I've had people over the years that I really think they thought that they were John the Baptist or Elijah or somebody like that. I mean, I almost expected a couple guys that came to me and said they were prophets to show up in uh, bearskins and uh, the whole thing. And, you know, because they saw themselves as these old, and, and I had some of them say to me, over the years I've had people say to me, well, I'm a prophet, I'm not subject to anybody. I'm like Nathan in the Old Testament. Well, I've got to tell you, Nathan really put his life in his hands when he spoke to the king because it was the king's responsibility, if he was a false prophet, to put him to death. When Nathan spoke to David, he put his life on the line. And it's a good thing that David repented. <laughs> so my word to them was, if you want to live by that standard, and one of these guys that told me he was a prophet told me that George Bush would never relinquish power and was going to cause a coup. Well, we know that didn't happen, okay? Is that true? 
I didn't kill him. He's still alive. He doesn't go to this church, but he's still alive. So the point is, is that we need to be careful what we say and how we weigh it. And New Testament prophecy is different than Old Testament prophecy. The New Testament gift comes with uh, new instructions as well. We said the word should be weighed. Uh, There's a check there to make sure that false prophecy does not damage the church. And when we get into 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12 and 14 and look at how the gifts were being stewarded, the Corinthians, for one church, it says they, they had all the gifts in operation, but they weren't doing a very good job of it. People were standing up, if you can imagine this, uh, on a Sunday morning if I got up and I spoke in tongues for 20 minutes and I was just up here being blessed and you were looking at me saying, okay, I've got a couple options here. I can go eat a coffee in the cafe. There's going to be an interpretation and we'll wait for it. But what if I was just up there speaking in tongues and I said, this is it, I'm, I'm putting that out for you. Or what if there were prophecies without number and we never weighed those? And I've been in churches where it's been that way. As a matter of fact, I've been in churches where we had competing prophets, where we've had one person prophesying this and someone else on the other side of the room all of a sudden gets a word from the Lord. You know, the Lord says right now there's sin in the camp and you need to examine your hearts. There's a judgment and there's a need for repentance. And somebody on the other side of the church stands up and says, uh, you know, the Lord loves you and he blesses you. There is no conduct. And I'm thinking, okay, uh, I've got stereo prophecies coming in ears here and they don't match. What do I do? If there's not good, strong leadership to steward that prophetic gift, then you can have chaos in the church. Those operating in the fivefold mantle of prophets seem to have a similar call to the prophets in the Old Testament, but there's a difference in the way they operate. Let's talk about the purpose of the gift of prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 3 through 4, it says, But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. How many of you would have put those three words with the gift of prophecy? He speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies or builds up the church. So the gift of prophecy is to build up the church. The gift of prophecy is to bring comfort. The gift of prophecy is to bring strengthening. For the body. And by the way, this doesn't mean that God can't give a correctional word because he often does. There are some times when you will hear a word from the Lord and you'll, people will end up on their knees, broken before the Lord. And we, but isn't there comfort and strengthening in that when we're hearing from the Lord? Like David said in Psalm 23, his rod and his staff comfort us. Even when the Lord gives us a word of correction, it's to build us up. It's to encourage us. It's to make us who he wants us to be. So if you think that prophecy is only to correct or to warn, we miss the point. According to 1 Corinthians 14, prophecy reveals the hearts of the people in the gathering. That's the seer component of this gift. It says that uh, when prophecy is working the right way, people will say, surely God is in this place because they'll know that their heart is being revealed. And there's something supernatural happening in that place. I've had people come up to me and they'd say, I felt like you were talking right to me today. Well, I want you to know, I don't sit home and say, okay, how can I communicate with Jay? How can I communicate with Doug? How can I get a word to uh, hit everybody's heart particularly? And I think about you. I I can't do that. 
But I want to tell you, when the presence of God is operating and there's a prophetic gift operating, the Holy Spirit will, there's almost like an open heaven effect. And the Holy Spirit uh, makes the word alive to you and he personalizes it to your heart. There may be something in the message that I share if I am speaking under the anointing of the Lord that's just for you. And yet there's something for someone else in the room and it's just the Lord applies that in that moment and you think, oh my goodness, this is just for me. This is, my heart is being laid bare. God is doing something in me. That's when the gift of prophecy is operating the right way. In the case of Agabus and Paul and others in the New Testament, God clearly reveals the future through prophecy, although prophecy is not always about the future. And I think, by the way, when there is a prophetic word about the future, that's when we really need to add a very clear um, grid on how to weigh that. And we're going to do a class, I, I think we're going to do it this fall, Hearing the Voice of the Holy Spirit. It's an excellent class, but it talks about six ways that you weigh words when you feel like God is speaking to you. How do you weigh that? What's the process for doing that? When God gives you a picture, it's very subjective. How do you interpret what that picture means? When you have a dream or a vision, was it just bad pizza that you ate? Was it something like French fries? Or is God really speaking to you? There's a whole interpretation process that needs to take place, and we'll teach you more about that. We don't have time to do that today. Let's talk about the role of uh, the office of prophet. Uh, it's to reveal God's heart and mind to his people, providing vision, revelation of God's character and direction. Often we learn more about who God is through prophetic gifts. Uh, the office or leadership mantle of a prophet equips those in the body of Christ to learn how to hear the voice of God and receive revelation. Uh, they equip others to prophesy. Uh, when there is a, uh, someone with the office of prophet, they set a standard for order and prophetic accuracy. How many of you have been in places where prophecy was operating and you didn't feel safe? I've been there in some of those places. I want this to be a place where the Holy Spirit does everything he wants to do, but I want this to be a safe place. Let me tell you what happens. And uh, I think it was Francis Frangipani that talked about this. He talks about uh, restroom revelations, parking lot prophecies, and things like that. And this has happened in my ministry. I've had people operating in prophetic gifts in our ministry, not so much in this church, but in previous ministries we've had, I had one guy that was coming up with condemning words for everybody in our fellowship. And I didn't know about it till years later. Nobody told me. And they said, well, we assumed that you knew he was doing that. I said, I had no clue. So if somebody is out in the parking lot giving you uh, parking lot prophecies or restroom revelations, you need to weigh those things. You need to come to somebody who's mature and help us to weigh that. It's not that we want to control, it's that we want to protect. I have had people over the years do things like tell people who they were supposed to marry. Well, isn't that convenient? So anybody that wants to know who you're supposed to marry, if you're not married today, come up after church and I'll tell you. <laughs> years ago, I had a friend that uh, was uh, just gotten engaged to somebody who she's been married now to for many years, and the elders of her church told her, uh, you're not supposed to marry that guy, you're supposed to marry another guy. Well, all of a sudden, the red light goes off. Eh, foul. I don't see that in Scripture. Do you see Jesus controlling his disciples like that? It's not there. And it wasn't there in the early church. 
We need to be very careful when we hear from the Lord to weigh things. I know so many people that have been hurt over the years because somebody spoke something they thought was in the, in the Lord. And especially when it comes to romantic relationships or people getting together, I don't want to hear about anybody prophesying over anybody. You know what? Show up at their wedding or maybe at their first anniversary and say, hey, by the way, I had a word for you three years ago that you were supposed to get married. I just want to affirm I think it's wonderful what God's doing in your life. Don't meddle beforehand. You got it, Steve? <laughs> he's, not, he's not guilty, man. I just love it. You're like, yeah, not in a way. Because you know people, right? It's true. All of, us, all of us have had heard those stories, okay? Identifying marks of the office of prophet. Uh, they will, this is a person who prophesies with great maturity and humility. Their anointing creates an open heaven where people hear from God and prophetic gifts operate freely. It causes faith to arise in people's hearts because when you hear the word of God, it causes a release of faith. Hearts are revealed. There will be things that will be said that you are thinking. So let me ask you an honest question this morning. How many of you indeed were dealing with condemnation and that accusation? You were having a hard time getting out from under that. Can you raise your hand? How many, honestly? So the Holy Spirit knew that. I couldn't know that because he knows what's going on in your heart. And the Lord reveals that, and he does that. It also sets standards for judging prophecy when mature prophetic gifts are present. And we'll be talking more in uh, weeks to come about how we want to grow in this area and how we're restructuring our leadership to help in this area. Mature prophets also will equip others. They'll gather those who want to learn and hear God's voice and prophesy. And you see that often in the New Testament. You'll see leaders working together. In Antioch, it was almost like there was a school of leaders. In the Old Testament, there was the school of the prophets. Prophets equipped other prophets. That's something that should be happening when that gift is operating. So when prophecy is functioning properly in the church, 1 Corinthians 14, let's look back there again. It says, but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner. He will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. That's the way it's supposed to be. Isn't that, isn't that a beautiful thing? I've heard this many times from people about God coming in years ago we had a, um, it was actually a, a man from India was walking by meeting that I was in. He heard us praying. It was before the meeting started. He heard us praying and he walked down and he said, God is in this room. He said, what's happening here? And I said, we're praying, we're getting ready. We're, we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, my mother is in India. She's very sick. Will you pray for her? And we prayed for him, and there were prophetic words that came forth from our team. He was blown away. God touched his mother. And he became part of our fellowship. It was amazing. The last I heard, he moved to Chicago. But when the Spirit of God, when God's presence is in your midst, things like that happen. People know in their hearts. Can I tell you something? I think that the seeker-sensitive movement has done so much damage to the church. Some of you may not know what I'm talking about, this whole idea that we have to dumb down the church and make the church so easy. I want to tell you, when the Holy Spirit is operating, He is always relevant. You don't have to make things... And people might... I remember years ago, I was in a meeting. This was a conference I was speaking at with a group of university students. 
And at the end, we had this call for people to come forth and just for prayer. And God was doing things all over at the front of the room. I mean, there were hundreds of kids being touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. And my friend Eric from Louisiana is bringing this guy down the list. And he said, this guy that fell over right here, that's sometimes the Holy Spirit overwhelms a person. And uh, God is doing a work of healing deep in his heart. And this person here that's speaking in tongues, sometimes God gives people a new language to praise him. And he gets down to the end. I'm, I'm watching Eric. I'm following him as he goes down the line. And Eric comes to the end. He says, so what do you want God to do for you? And this guy said, I've been living a homosexual lifestyle. And he said, I am not happy. I know that's not who God created me to be. Can you pray that God would change my heart right now? And we gathered around and we prayed for him. It was powerful. And, God, and I thought, the Holy Spirit doesn't drive anybody away. The only time that people get nervous about the Holy Spirit is when they were raised in a religious church that taught them the Holy Spirit was scary. When the Holy Spirit is moving in an authentic way, First of all, it doesn't get spooky at all. It's as natural as anything. It's as natural as Jesus sitting at, okay, today it wouldn't be a well. Jesus would be at Starbucks. And this woman walks in, okay? And he says, hey, by the way, he says, can you get me a coffee? Sure. And she sits down, she starts talking to him, and he says, so, and they get into this conversation. Before you know it, he's saying, so tell me about your husband. Because he knows what the real problem is in this woman's heart. And it's so natural that it just comes up in conversation. Do you know that's how God wants some of you to operate in the gift of prophecy and the lives of people around you? You don't even have to tell them God spoke to me. You don't have to say, thus saith the Lord. You can say, you know, I was just walking by. I, I, this has happened to me. So I was just walking by and I felt like I should come over. Are you having a rough day? I did this with a librarian once. I just felt like she was just having the roughest day. And I said, are you having a rough day? And I saw the people before me had just been giving her the roughest time. And tears started coming down her face. And I said, you know what? Go in the back and pretend like you're looking for a book for me. And I'll just stand here and wait for you. Take a five-minute break on me. And she did. She went in the back room and she, you know, wiped her face off. And she came back out. She said, thank you. That was really cool. But I felt like the Lord said, go and protect that lady. Just go and do that. So we don't have to be all spooky about it. I think God wants every believer to learn how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and how to function in that. When a gift of prophecy is stewarded well in a fellowship, the results can be powerful. And let me say something about this that I want to make very clear. Prophecy doesn't just happen in the four walls of the church. I believe, where does most prophecy happen? It happens out there. If you read the book of Acts, it happens out in the streets. It happens out where you meet people and you interact with people. Can I challenge you to start asking the Lord and saying, Lord, as I leave the house today, would you set divine appointments for me and lead me to people that need, that need you and give me the ears and the ability to hear what you are saying to me and how you want to use me in their lives? How awesome. To not just go out and do your job every day, but to say, I'm an assignment for the Lord. Amen. And to say anything possible could happen today in this moment. Because I may just be going to the supermarket, but all sorts of wonderful things could happen in the kingdom of God. Some of you know uh, Frank Johnson, uh, Bishop Johnson's brother. He's got a whole ministry at Mark's. He says, I don't know what it is. He said, but I end up praying. I, I can spend two hours in Mark's praying for people. And God just leads me to people in Mark's. So where's your place? 
Is it where you work? Is it your family? Is it your neighborhood? Where is God calling you to operate? I was going to start teaching on evangelists today, but I think this is enough. We'll talk about evangelists next week. I don't want to rush through this because I feel like this is something the Lord wants us to have in a very powerful way in the season to come. The gifts need to be in operation the way God intended them to be. I want to ask you a question. How many of you, you may not be called to be uh, to the office of prophet. And we have some people in our church that I believe are called to that office. And we'll talk more about that in weeks to come. But how many of you would say, I want to be used more in hearing the voice of God, not just for myself, but for other people? Let's stand together. Let's close this way. How many of you would just say, I just, I want to activate this gift. Just come on down to the front. We're going to pray. If you feel like this is something that God wants to activate in your heart, some of you may say, I've been used in this, and I'm, I'm hearing this right now for a number of people in the room. You've been used in this gift in the past, but it's, you've kind of put it on the shelf, and it's not operating the way that the Lord wants it to. And this is just a re-consecration, a rededication. Can we do that? Let's just lift our hands to the Lord right now. Thank you, God. Bless you, Lord. Just go ahead and lift your hands up to him. Heavenly Father, we come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask you today, Lord, I love that scripture in 1 Corinthians 14 where it says when everyone is prophesying, people will say, surely God is in this place and they'll fall down and worship you. Lord, I just pray right now for an activation of the gift of prophecy in the lives of these people that are here at the front. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just impart to each one of them, Father, your anointing in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, for an activation of this gift. And Lord, that the power of your spirit would be released in a mighty way in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Let's just worship the Lord. Somebody told me that the Lord gave you a word and that it's appropriate to share it now. Would you do that? Would you be willing to do that? Uh, this morning, right before I was waking up 100%, I, I know it's the Holy Spirit whispering in my ear in Chinese. So literally the translation is uh, pray and pray. I will come like thief. So I was not totally 100% away. Then he spoke to me again. And I got an immediate share with my husband. I said, honey, I want you to remember this day. Around 6.45, the Lord speak to me about this. And I, I, I don't think that made for me alone to pray and pray. He will come like thief. So 
Hopefully this is encouragement to you that pray and pray at this hour. God might come, like scripture said, like a thief. Well, when Sarah shared that with me, I felt like, and then we had this teaching on the prophetic, I just feel, uh, I was sensing what happened in Acts, that your sons and your daughters will, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, and there's more to it, but it's for all of us, and I have sensed very strongly that these are very much the last days. All the prophecies are being fulfilled, but there's no messing around, and that the Lord really wants us to be very serious about this, and to take um, this time that we're living in very seriously. If we were supposed to be born at a different time in history, we would have been. It's now is our time, even though it's a very difficult and degraded uh, culture we're living in. But Father, I just pray right now that we would take this gift seriously. And Lord, that you would give us uh, prophetic prayers. Pray, pray, I come like a thief, you said to Sarah. And Lord, you're just re you're saying scripture again to us, but Lord, that we would be people of prophetic prayer, seeking your face, Lord, and being very serious, Lord, about this time. Thank you, Father, for your goodness and your kindness, Lord, to us. Thank you, Jesus. I want to just encourage you, as you're asking the Lord for this gift, there might be things that he's asking you to give up. That, you know, sometimes when you're a prophet or you are walking in his gifts, he asks you to lay down some things that are okay for other people. So I want you to listen to his heart. And if you really want what he has for you, then really listen to him and be willing to give it up because he will pour out on you as you give up. You can't give more than he's willing to give. <laughs> 